It is great having you with us today. We're so glad you're here. Um, thanks for joining us. We are um, going to be looking, if you have a Bible with you or a way to read the Bible on your phone, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5 today. Um, but I just wanted to welcome you. Uh, Christy was leading worship today. My name is Jeff. We've pastored the church for five years. We've been in Farmington this whole time. We are a growing community. Um, we have been in this building. This is our, what, our third Sunday in the building, so we're still trying to figure out how this building works and service times and all those things. But we love what God is doing, uh, what he is building, more than just this facility, the community, the, con the culture, the congregation that he's putting together. Um, we are glad that you are a part of it. Joshua chapter 5 is where we're going to be today, and uh, we're going to start in verse 9. Uh, but a little backstory. The first part of Joshua chapter 5, I'll kind of explain what was going on, and then even just leading up to this. This is, the Israelites are in the promised land, they've crossed the Jordan River, so they've, you know, a little backstory if you're not familiar with this. Um, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, God delivered them, and then they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and we'll talk a little bit more about why in a second. But they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until God said, okay, now's the time you're going to enter the promised land, this part of the of the land where God had said, this is where I'm going to establish you as a great nation. This is going to be your domain. This is going to be your place. And so this is what has happened finally after Egypt and slavery, after 40 years in the wilderness, finally God is fulfilling this promise for the Israelites to go into the promised land. And they've crossed the Jordan River and they are there. And so we have been talking about this first part of the book of Joshua for a few weeks now, just wanting to draw a few comparisons for their story, ancient Israel, and our story, the first few weeks being in this new facility, but also really entering a new season as a church. We feel like God has us here for a reason, to be a light in our community. So we just wanted to draw a couple of comparisons from Israel's story to our story. So where we left off a couple of weeks ago, the Israelites had just crossed the river. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this, how God told them to go back into the river, the tribe leaders, and pull out one stone each. So 12 big stones, I imagine as far, you know, as, as heavy of a stone as they could carry. I'm, if it's typical guys, it probably became a competition who could find and carry the heaviest stone, and somebody threw out a back or something like that. Like, oh no, the tribe of Benjamin is down. We need someone to help carry their rock. Um, but they wanted to build this big monument of stones so that they would remember this day. They would remember the day that God led them into the promised land. And more than that, they did this so that the next generation, when kids would grow up and they'd come and see the big pile of stones, they'd say, hey, what's with the big pile of stones? And they'd say, that was the day that God led us here. That was the day that God did the miraculous. We see, and this is what we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, we see the importance for the Israelites and the importance for God to teach them how important it is to have the next generation follow them in their faith have the next generation grow up in faith. Because if you have a faith that ends with your generation, well, then there's no more faith. So we, we take that to, to heart at Homestead. We take seriously the importance of next generation ministry, the, ne the importance of having our kids and our teenagers grow up. This is a, man, I, we talk about this in our family all the time. I, I'm glad I wasn't a teenager in the Instagram TikTok, social media age, right? When I was a teenager, it was just you'd go to school, and if there was a mean kid, you went home and left them alone and didn't answer the phone. It's a lot more complicated now. We want to be intentional about raising up not just kids and students that believe in Jesus. That, first and foremost, is 
is the priority, but have a faith that is just anchored. Have a faith that is strong when they encounter things in the world, that they would have a, a life, as we've been singing about today, a life that is built on the truth of Jesus Christ, the foundation of his word and his unshakable love and acceptance of us. So we are focused on that as a church. If you are new to this church or just visiting today, we want you to know we love your kids and we want them to grow up with a strong faith. That's where we left off. And today in Joshua chapter 5, it begins a little weird. Okay, in verse 2, it begins, you know, the heading in my Bible says, Circumcision and Passover at Gilgal. And so really, it's weird, and we're not going to spend too much time on this today for obvious reasons. God commands Joshua to have the nation circumcised. And he says in the scripture, re-circumcised. And when I first read that, I thought, how does that work? But then I realized one thing. What happened was the nation of Israel, all the men that left Egypt 40 years before, the reason they wandered in, in the wilderness for 40 years is because there was some spies that went out to scout out the promised land. Like 40 years before this moment, God said, okay, it's time to go into the promised land. And these spies went out into the promised land and they looked and they said, it's wonderful. The grapes are huge and there's food and there's water and it's beautiful but the problem is is there's enemies there and there's no way we can defeat them and then their lack of faith is what caused God to say okay you don't deserve to go into this promised land we're going to have you wander in the wilderness until you learn to trust me and so what happened was all the men who had come out of Egypt had died off in the wilderness so now you have a new generation of men who have grown up in the wilderness and that is why God told them to have everyone circumcised and that is all we're going to say about that. So we're going to pick it up at verse 9, following the big, you know, circumcision party, <laughs> which sounds like the worst party ever, right? Sorry, I said it was all I was going to say about that, and then I had to make a funny joke. Uh, verse 9, we're going to pick it up after this. In verse 9, and I just want to read verse 9. This is really the, the heart of what I want to talk about today. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. This was a big moment for Israel. This was a big moment for Israel because God was declaring that this is a new day. This is a new day. I am rolling away the reproach. I am taking away all the all the hurt, all the pain, all the memory of your past life of slavery in Egypt. I am rolling away the reproach and the day is a new day today. And the place is called Gilgal. They named the place Gilgal that day because that word Gilgal is from a Hebrew word meaning to take away, to remove. God has removed our past from us. God has removed the reproach. Every trace of your old life, God is saying on that day. We're here. We're in the promised land. Every trace of your old life, I'm now rolling away. It is gone. It is gone. All the hurt and the bondage and slavery and defeat is now gone. He rolled away the reproach. And I did a little word study on that word reproach. And it's from a Hebrew word, and I'm going to try to pronounce it, herpah. Now, you've got to give a little ch with the Hebrew, and we can't do that because we're wearing masks and we don't want droplets and COVID. So we're just going to, we're going to just make it more American. Herpah is the Hebrew word for that. Now, that Hebrew word means, it has several meanings. It can mean to scorn someone. So I imagine if you have a slave 
owner as they were slaves in Egypt, there would have been scorn and mistreatment. It can also mean the taunting of an enemy. So an enemy that taunts you. Or it can mean a state of shame. All of these things, that word that got translated to reproach, all of these things could mean those things. To scorn someone, to mistreat them. A taunting of the enemy or a state of shame. And all of those things, as I was doing this word study, I realized all of these would be part of being a slave in Egypt. Right? All of these would be part of that. Imagine you have slave owners or masters who are mistreating them and scorning them. That would be part of it. Certainly there would be taunting of the enemy. I imagine part of being a slave in Egypt meant hearing from your masters and the slave owners of, you're never going to be free. You're never getting out of here. Why even try to have hope? It is a hopeless case. You are never getting out of here. You are never going to be free. I imagine all of these things were part of it. All of these things not only would have been a part of being a slave in Egypt, but all of those things would have a tendency to linger in your heart long after you were out of Egypt, long after you had been physically removed from Egypt. I imagine the reproach, the shame, the hurt, the pain, all of these things would linger long after you had been physically removed out of Egypt. And any of us, if we've been in a hostile or an abusive, or a manipulative, or a hurtful situation, we understand this, don't we? Right? Many of us have been there. We understand how that works. Just because you're free doesn't mean you're free. Right? Just because you've removed yourself from that situation, you can still feel the past hurt. That past can still affect you and hinder you. It can still cause shame. It can still cause you to feel like you're back in that moment. Have you ever had a time where you're just going through your day and all of a sudden you just have a, something triggers a memory from, I mean, I can remember conversations that I've had with people that were hurtful to me 20 and 30 years ago and it's like instantly you're back there and you feel that. You're like, oh, those words still have power in this moment. It still feels like I'm in that situation. Those things can linger. This is the idea of reproach. This is the word that I was studying, reproach. But our God, and here's the good news today, our God is the God who declares, I have rolled away the reproach. I have rolled away everything that is hindering you. I have rolled away the reproach of your past, and there is no trace of it any longer. It's a new day. This is what our God declares. Amen. All right. Come on, we got to give a little extra with the masks. you got to help me out a little bit. There's no trace of it any longer. It's a new day. And there was a very, as we continue to read, there's a very practical indication of this new day found in the next verse, verse 10. It says this, verse 10, Joshua 5, verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after. They ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So this is important, and this is kind of one of those things where if you're reading through the Old Testament and you're reading through the Bible, you're like, okay, it was, there's dates, and then they ate food, and then the manna, what's manna, and it stopped. And it just feels like you're, you're, it's the equivalent of today when the millennials just post pictures of their food. Everyone's just talking about their meal. It feels like one of those moments, and you kind of pass by. This is an important moment. 
What's going on here is a very practical indication of God saying it is a new day. So when you see manna, and if you don't know this, manna was what God provided for them to eat for those 40 years in the wilderness. So they escaped from Egypt, and they were wandering in the wilderness, and then they realized, we don't have any food. Um, and they complained to God, and God said, fine, I'll give you some food. And every morning for 40 years, they would wake up, and there'd be this like flaky kind of bread-like thing. I guess, all over the ground, and they would gather it for the day, and that would be what they needed to eat for the day. It's where we get the idea of daily bread. God would provide this manna every day. And if they took too much, if they said, well, I'm going to store up, save some for later, God would cause that to be infested with maggots and go rotten because he said, I want you to take what you need for today and trust me that I'm going to provide it for tomorrow. That is a lesson we can all learn every day, right? Trust God that he's going to give you what you need today and he will give you what you need tomorrow and you can just trust him to do that. But that is what God did for 40 years. Every day, the same thing to eat, every meal. Students and kids, have you ever felt like maybe mom and dad were slipping a little bit with the, with the recipes at home and it felt like you were eating the same thing every day? Yes, yes. As uh, Megan Merricks was really project manager for this whole thing. And so in her house, I heard that there was a, um, a phrase that they would say, the kids would say it was um, BB and AB, before the building and after the building. And they said, well, maybe, maybe A.B. will get some groceries and food in our house again. You know, if you've been in that moment. And maybe you're a kid that you wish mom would just cook the same thing. Frozen pizza every night would be fine for you. You, would, you could have been like the Israelites as long as there was like a Hagee's pizza on the ground every morning that God provided. That would have been fine. I don't imagine manna was that flavorful. But this is what they ate every day. Every day for 40 years. And then we read in verse 10. In verse 11, actually verse 11, the day after the Passover, they ate some of the produce of the land. They ate some of the food that was growing in the promised land. This would have been the only thing they've eaten other than manna for 40 years. So all these people grew up in the wilderness, so they've never eaten anything other than manna. And all of a sudden now they're experiencing the fruit of the land and roasted grains and I'm sure all sorts of other giant grapes and all the good things, the produce of the land, that would have been a great feast, right? Have you ever been somewhere where you, I remember certain missions trips. I remember going on a missions trip in Spain and I love cereal and I love cereal with really cold milk. And it's embarrassing to say this, but I've now started adding a single ice cube to my bowl of cereal so that the milk gets colder as I go through. I love cold milk on my cereal. Sometimes I'll put a glass of milk in the freezer for a while. Just, I mean, I'm high maintenance with my cereal. I would not have done well in the wilderness. But I remember going on a missions trip to Spain, and all they had was the milk that for some reason didn't need to be refrigerated. It was in like the little cardboard sealed things, and you'd open it up and pour it out, and it was pretty warm. I mean, it was room temperature, and the rooms were pretty warm, and it was thick. And I just remember thinking, oh, man, I can't wait to get home. And I would get home from that missions trip, and I'd be glad to be home for many reasons, but mostly because I could just have a bowl of cereal with some really cold milk. Have you ever been there where you're like, oh, I'm so glad to finally be eating something different than what I had been? I'm sure they felt that way. The first time they'd eaten the produce of the land, and that very day, the manna stopped. 
That very day, God stopped providing the manna on the ground. Why? Was he tired? No, because he had brought them into a new season where they were going to grow up a little bit and provide for themselves. They were going to eat the fruit of the land. This is a totally symbolic of God saying, okay, I've now brought you into a new season of growth where you're no longer, maybe it's, an, it's indicative of a faith where you are relying on someone else to feed you all the time. And eventually you get to the point where you can say, no, I'm going to read the word on my own and I'm going to feed myself spiritually. Maybe that is what this indicates. But there is no coincidence. Obviously, God said, I provided food for all these years, but now I've provided a land that will provide food. And now they enjoy the fruit of the land and they eat the food of the land, and that is when the manna stopped, because Israel was enjoying a new day, a new day. I imagine that God said, I've rolled away the reproach, I've rolled away the shame, and just to show you that this is a new day, you get to eat something other than manna. I imagine that was a celebration. This was a very tangible indication that God was starting a new day, a new thing. So this is the big idea for today. If you get one thing out of here, it's this. is Our God is the God of a new start. Our God is the God of a new start who rolls away everything associated with your past, every hurt, every shame, and he brings us into a new land, a new start, new sustenance, new victory, no more shame or hurt or worry or bondage. This is what our God does, right? This is what our God does. Right after that, there's an interesting side story here. Um, and I've always loved this story. The side story in verse 13. So this is just after the manna stopped, and this is as they are preparing to go conquer the city of Jericho. So Joshua is, you know, he's the leader of the Israelites. He's the leader of the army, and he's thinking, okay, we got we to gotta somehow defeat this city. You know, God brought us into the promised land, but it wasn't, okay, just stay in this little spot and don't bug anybody else. It was... You're now in the promised land, and you're now to drive out all the previous inhabitants of the promised land because this whole land is to be yours. So the first city that they have to conquer is Jericho. So this is right before they are going to conquer the city of Jericho, and Joshua experiences this in verse 13. He experiences an angel standing before him with his sword drawn. He didn't know it was an angel yet. Spoiler alert. Uh, Verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho... He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked the question we would all ask in that moment, are you for us or are you for our enemies? So he's, he's ready to lead the Israelites and to conquer the city of Jericho. And he sees this large man. It's an angel, but he doesn't know that yet. This large man standing in the road with his sword drawn. And he automatically worries, as I would, Um, are you on our side? Because I'm hoping you're on our side, but I kind of know my nation of Israel and I know all the fighting guys and we've never seen anybody like you and never seen a sword that cool or that big or that imposing. So I'm a little worried you're for our enemies, but I just got to ask, are you on our side or are you on their side? And then I love this answer from the angel. He says in verse 14, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? I love the response, neither. I love that. I love that Joshua's like, um, okay, there's Israel and there's Jericho. Now you, which side are you on? And he said, I imagine it more like this in the Jeff Kerr paraphrase. I imagine it more like, 
dude, I'm the commander of the army of God. We don't pick a side, right? We're not on a side, right? You best be less concerned whether we're on your side and be more concerned about getting on our side. I love that he's, I love that. It's like, God is not picking a side. You just better make sure you're on God's side. This is what the message is. And I love that. And Joshua has that moment of, oh, right. And he falls down in reverence and in worship. And then he says these words, what does my Lord have to say to his servant? I love that. I love this idea. Your side or their side, I'm on God's side. Uh, God doesn't pick a side. You should make sure you're on his side. All these things. We live in a world where everybody's picking sides, right? Everybody, whatever, man, if you're, uh, if you're still on Facebook, and I remember, I rec- recommend you ditch that because it's, it's not a happy place these days. It's all, every issue is whose side are you on? You got to be on our side or their side. Are you on our side or their side? And then what we do with any issue is we decide, okay, these are the people on my side. These are the people on their side. And then we try to get God on our side. Well, we've got God on our side. Well, you don't have God on your side. Everybody thinks God is on their side. That's why they're doing it. But everyone's trying to get God on their side. In this culture, we need less time trying to get God on our side and rather more time making sure we're with him right? Making sure we're with God. I don't want to try to put you in my pocket and get you on my team. I want to make sure I'm with you. I want to make sure I'm on your side. And I love that he says, what does the Lord have to say to me? In our world of constant, constant opinions and voices, online, watching the news, just talking to friends, you can't talk to anybody for more than 30 seconds without some hot button issue coming up and the, everyone's sharing their opinions. Well, here's where I am and here's what I think and it's all a hoax. We're all going to die. You know, all of these things, you know, everything in between. You can hear this. We must, as people of God, as followers of Jesus, we must spend time bowed before our Lord and King saying, what do you have to say about this? What do you have to say about this? Spend time reading God's word. Spend time in prayer. This is where God is going to speak wisdom to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Of course, we would all the more so than trying to watch the news and websites and social media and talking to our crazy uncles and all these things. More than that, we need to spend time asking God, what do you have to say about this? God is going to speak wisdom. It's not just Old Testament things that don't make any sense. God's word is alive. He will speak truth to your heart, practical truth for what you're going through right now. So spend time in prayer and in Bible study. Spend more time in prayer, and here's where I fail and we probably all fail. Spend more time in prayer and Bible study than you do watching the news and perusing the Facebook because we want to make sure we're with him. We want to make sure we're with him. We don't need to worry about how many people we have on our side. We want to make sure we're with him. And notice as Joshua did this, if you continue to read, Joshua bows down before this commander of God's army and says, what does the Lord have to say? And that's when the commander of God's army, the angel, speaks to Joshua the specific instructions on how to defeat the city of Jericho. This is where God lays out the specific plan. We need to spend time listening to God. He will reveal wisdom to you. He will speak wisdom to you. So here's how I want to wrap up today in the few minutes we have left. I want us to go back to that idea that we had in verse 9. 
where God said, I've rolled away the reproach. Where God said, there's a, there's a new land with new harvest. There's new fruit. And there's specific instructions for your victory. All of these things we see God doing. God is saying, it's a new day. God is saying, it's a new day for you. Some of you in this room, you're still kind of living in Egypt. You know, metaphorically speaking. Although with the hot temperatures recently, it feels like we're literally living in Egypt. Some of you are living in Egypt figuratively. It's your old life. You're still living the old life. You're trying to, you know, for lack of a better term, you're trying to sprinkle a little faith on your life, have a little bit of Jesus, but you're still just living in Egypt. You're still living the old life. Not much has changed. God wants to bring you out. God wants to deliver you. God wants to bring you out. But I think for more of us, we have given our life to Jesus. We're trying to live a new life, but we still have things tying us down from our past. We still bear the reproach of Egypt. We still bear the reproach of our past in our life. The shame, the taunts of the enemy, certain things that we've been trying to get rid of in our life for years. And every time we just feel the taunting of the enemy, you're never going to be free of this. You're never going to get rid of this. This is never going to be over. You're never going to feel better than this. This anxiety you're going through, you're never going to get through this. This sin that keeps tripping you up, you're never going to get through this. Your inability to not be crushed by the views of other people, you're never going to get through that. And God is saying, no, I'm rolling away the reproach, the shame, the hurt, the bondage. It's a new day. The taunting of the enemy is no more. The words that have been spoken over you, hurt that has been caused, I imagine all of us, everybody in this room, could think back to something that has been said over us that still stings and still causes us to kind of cower in shame. Or hurt that has been done to you. Maybe you were in an abusive relationship or an abusive situation. Or maybe it's hurt that you have caused to somebody else and you bear that just like, oh, I just messed up. And you still carry that burden, that reproach. And even though you're removed from the situation now, you still feel it. The shame remains. You're still living in bondage. And God, who declared freedom that day in Gilgal, they named the place Gilgal because God is the God who takes away, rolls away the reproach. That's the same God doing the same thing for his people today. For everyone in this room, that's what God is doing for you. He's rolling away your past. If you're still living in past sin, if you've never really given your life to God, if you still carry the shame of something that has been done to you in the past, the Spirit of God, and I need you to hear this, the Spirit of God is here today declaring, I am rolling away the reproach of your past. There is no trace of it anymore. It's a new day. It's a new day. And it's time to, as the Israelites did, not just flee Egypt, but enjoy the new land, the new life, the new produce in the land. Enjoy the fruit of a new life. Enjoy the fruit of an abundant life where God says, I don't need to um, do the same work I was doing in you before. Now look at this new abundant life that you have. Now look at what I'm providing for you in a whole new way. This new start, this new land. This is what God does. So I have in my notes here something I wanted to say to all the kids and the students. So here's what I'm going to do. And this is going to be more fun in the second service where we got lots of little kids in here. I'm going to have them stand on the chairs. But maybe today we'll just have, could we have the students or the kids stand up just for a minute, okay? Come on, we can do that. It's all right. There's, 
There we go. Come on, Eli. There you go. I want you guys specifically to hear this. This is what God does. He takes away any, any hurt that's been done to you in the past, and he makes you, it kind of starts to feel like you're impervious or you're unmesswithable, you know, because you've got God rolling away everything that's been hurt or everything that's been done to you that's caused hurt. So if there's been words that have been spoken to you where it caused hurt, where something that you've gone through causes you to feel like, oh, I'm never going to get through this, or something you're walking through that's a struggle, our God is saying to you, I've rolled that away. I want to have a new start for each of you so that when you go back to school, maybe this fall, when you encounter things, when you move away and go to college some way, someday, when you stop attending Homestead Church every day, you're going to have a new faith that God is saying, I've built something new in you. It's not your, your parents' faith, but now you're enjoying the fruit of the new faith that you have, your own faith. And God is saying, I'm taking away all that's been hurt in you in the past, and I'm giving you a new life. All right, nod, students, if you hear me. Okay, rest of us stand, because the students are feeling awkward. They're not listening to anything I'm saying. All they're thinking is, I'm standing here all by myself. People are looking at me. Well, adults, it's the same thing. What people have said to you in the past does not affect you anymore. God is rolling away the reproach. God is rolling away the shame. What people have said does not shame you anymore. You are unmesswithable. I love the language that God says, I'm rolling it away. I'm rolling it away. Because it obviously reminds us of some other time that God rolled away something a thousand years later where God would roll away a stone that was guarding the grave that Jesus was in, the sting of death, the reproach of sin, the power of the grave. God rolled it away. Everything that's been in the past, every sin, every hurt, every pain, God's rolling it away. It's new life. It's a new day. It's a new day. So I want us to live in that new day. I want us to live in the new promised land. I want us to live that way. Let's let go of the things that are... I think God so often is saying, I'm rolling it away. I'm trying to roll it away, but you keep hanging on to it. So let it go. It's a new day. Let's pray together. And as we just bow our heads in prayer, I'd love everyone to just bow their heads. And here's what I want us to do. Just take a moment and just allow the Holy Spirit to contextualize this word for your situation. Whatever it is that is causing you hurt or pain, whatever has been done in the past, whatever word that somebody spoke over you that causes you to think, that you are worth less, that you do not have value, that you will never amount to much, that you will never succeed, that you will never move forward, that you'll never get over this thing. Whatever word that has spoken over you that causes you to think that you are not loved and valued by God just the way you are, I want you to let those go. God is here saying, I'm rolling away. I'm rolling it away. It's a new day. It's a new start. There is so much ahead of you. Not just enjoying the produce and the, the harvest of the new land, not just enjoying the abundance of new life in Christ, but great victories as we saw Israel go through. There's great victories that God has in store. There's a great work that God has for you to do. So right now is the time, all those things that are hindering you to let it go. We set aside everything that hinders us. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
So this is what I want us to do today. Just take a minute and just let it go. Maybe you even just want to lift up a hand and just say, God, I'm giving it to you. Maybe you've never made a decision to fully give your life to God and you want to signify that by lifting up a hand right now. God, I give it to you. I give my life to you. I want to follow after you in every way. I want the new life of Christ to be alive in me. So Jesus, we thank you for the work that you do. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are still speaking to us and revealing truth to us. I thank you that you are still the God who rolls away the hurt and gives us a new start. Even if we've messed up a hundred times, you are the God whose mercies are never failing. Every day your mercies are new. It's a new start. It's a new start. So God, we want to walk in that and live in that new start. We want to live a strong faith that not just is abundant for us, but has that bears fruit for others that sees great victories, that sees you do a great work in pushing back the darkness in the communities around us. This is what you want to do through us, and we want to be a part of it. So, Lord, the things that are hindering us down, tying us down and hindering us, we let it go. We give it to you. We allow you to remove it, to roll it away, and we walk in a new day. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.